My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Bree Castellini. I used to be a patriot. Because it's 4th of July! Oh, America sucks. And this is Burn Noticed. A weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy recently disavowed by the U.S. government who uses his special ops training to help others in trouble. Throughout this podcast, we'll be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. B and C aren't mutually exclusive, but they are unique in how to measure them. A great episode of television has good writing and storytelling, but a great episode of Burn Notice doesn't necessarily have to. But it does, according to us, Bree and Chris, need to have at least three of the following criteria. One, Michael Weston solves the weekly problem with spycraft rather than violence. Michael Weston's spy advice voiceover involves practical spy advice rather than passive spy observations. Three, Michael Weston debuts or revisits a distinct alias. And four, the show's sidekicks, Sam and Fiona, are used well, meaning that Fiona gets to blow something up or uses her explosives expertise and or Sam gets to be peak Bruce Campbell. Remember, spoilers are coming up, so either watch the episodes along with us or shut up. The show came out a long time ago. It really did. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. So, this episode, Identity, aired July 6th, 2007. It was written by series creator Matt Nix and directed by Rod Hardy. Also, this guy uh, directed a s- several episodes of The X-Files. Really? And Battlestar Galactica. Wow, and he was in many, many pieces of pornography. <laughs> Let's talk about this episode, Identity. Okay, let's start right at the beginning with the recap of the show itself. That that shows up at the beginning of every episode. Of every episode. We have it now. We didn't have it last week because... There was no show to recap. Exactly. It was just happening. But now we have, in lieu of like an opening title sequence, just an explanation of the premise of Burn Notice using a lot of clips from the pilot and a couple... Yeah, a couple, like, flexible ones. Flexible I, ones. I will say, I, what I like about this is that, because we mentioned last week that I wasn't watching as it, like, came out, at least at first, so I'm pretty sure I started watching Burn Notice with my mom, like, at least a season in, or at least a couple of episodes mm-hmm. in, and this was very helpful, because regardless of me having seen it all the way through, I knew exactly what was happening. Michael Weston succinctly explains to me what I should expect from this show, and I think it was probably also a, a, a matter of, like, us being in the in-between stage in terms of television where we were kind of moving from you know episodic like purely episodic or more like episodic to more serialized that's true and so like we still feel the need to like we have to show people the premise let's talk about what happens in this episode yeah well no first you had a note about the shot at the end of the the recap that Uh apparently you like better than the other ones oh no no it's like because there's that shot at the end of the pilot we didn't really talk about that either where it's clearly the shot that they loved where it's just like him like standing next to like a big white wall and it's like i don't know where this is or why it exists but it it looks like an outdoor amphitheater sort of a thing and i also feel like they return to that at at different points like it, it feels like probably some kind of landmark that they just, like, sort of centralize around whenever they need, like, an outdoor space to yeah. whatever. But, I mean, a lot of the shots I think they use of it are that shot from the pilot. And it's the only shot in the pilot that's, like, well lit. Oh, I just meant that there's, I think there's other episodes that utilizes that same, that same wall. like, location. Because it's the burn notice wall. It's the burn notice wall. Oh, man, that's where burn notice goes. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Again, we open with Michael, a spy, a.k.a. burn notice. I kind of want to just call him burn notice, but I think that could be confusing. Yes. Standing around... Uh, looking at photos of himself from the end of the last episode, because at the end of the last episode, there are all these photos of him strewn on the floor of his apartment saying, ha we see you. And once again, bonkers editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, so like, the second episode in a row that is not competently directed at all. No. Fuck you, Rod Hardy. And I also, yeah, I also want to point out that I do not believe that this is wardrobe he has chosen himself, because he's he's in Miami, at an unspecified time in the year, but because this airs in July and usually TV shows with enough episodes kind of go along with the seasons that they're airing during, we're assuming it's July in Miami and he's wearing fucking long sleeves and jeans. Like, Michael Weston, buy some khakis and a t-shirt, bud. He has to look good. This doesn't look good, though. He looks like he's about to paint his mom's house. 
So it turns out the place that he's staking out mm-hmm. after this long sequence of again him just standing with like from ev- shot from every angle and then like fades like time is passing. Yeah, the show and and I feel like this continues for most of the show. This show feels seems to feel like to make something feel like they're using real cinematography and making it feel active, like an action movie, because it's an action show, that they just need more of everything. Yeah. More kinds of cuts, more kinds of angles, like more cuts in general. Exactly. Like, it just, it feels very frenetic because it's like, no, even though he's just wandering around a suburb, like looking at pictures, it's an action show. And I think they're just trying to like create drama where they're, they haven't actually included any. Exactly. No, they want it to look like Bad Boys 2. That's what it is. That's what it needs to be. I also have no opinion on that because I've never seen it. But like, that's Michael Bay. I think that's Michael Bay. So it turns out the house that he's in front of is his mom's house. And he goes in and he interrogates his mom about whether or not she's seen any surveillance of her house. And it turns out a few months ago, there had been some government men who came to her house. She invited them in for sandwiches and left one alone in the living room. Yeah, because despite the fact that she fully has known he's a spy his entire career, presumably, uh, anytime strange people come into her house, she's just like, this is probably normal and fine. I mean, it's, <laughs> like, I'll just leave them alone. It's I like, mean, they talk about this. He talks about this later in the episode about like, She's, like, willfully ignorant when she wants to be about... No, um, see, I... So he does say that. And I I think I believe you that the show thinks this. But what I'm thinking is that, like, willfully ignorant means you know what's going on, but you choose to communicate being willfully ignorant. Well, yeah, I think it's, like, partially that. But it's, like, hard... But it's hard to, I think... Objectively, random men who... She knows her from the government, and she knows her son works for the government. Come into her house... And then she's like, yeah, you could just, like, like, it's one thing for her to, like, invite them in and that kind of stuff. But, like, the fact that she left one alone, that seems suspect to me just in terms of, like, is this woman really this stupid? But it's also, it's a thing of, like, she could be, because it could be a thing of, like, I know that my son is a spy. I know he does dangerous shit. And I know he does all this stuff. But, like, she doesn't know the specifics of how, like, spies work but, right, I, but, no, also, but I also you, think it's a thing that you like, would never leave strange people in your house alone like I would ra- I would barely leave like like handymen alone you yeah. know I'll be in the next room but they're not handymen she explicitly knows they're from the government I know but also her son works for the government and like as far as she knows at that time still does It'd right. be really... I'll give you that a little bit I still call bullshit on I think they're just like choosing to make her like dumber to make her character funnier which I don't appreciate but no because again like she seems to know more She's, like, smart later. Like, again, it's more, like... Because it also kind of feels like... What are you looking at? Oh, this is a this is a screenshot I took of the episode. Because I have a note about how extra her teapot is. Because it's extremely extra and I love it. It is. That is a very extra teapot. Uh-huh. It, I, don't, I don't know what it is. No, it's, like, it is very intricate and very just, like, there's all sorts of stuff and textures on it. And I, it's like, I'm obsessed. But it's, like, kind of flesh-colored, so it looks like a fucked-up testicle. Yeah, no, it's... It's great from start to finish. No exactly. matter how you squint at it, it's perfect. There's a way we can put this on Twitter. We should put this on Twitter yes. so people can see this fucking testicle teacup. The greatest te- uh, teapot. Teapot. The teacup's normal. Yeah. I mean, it's still extra, but like regular extra. Regular yeah. old lady. It also doesn't look like it matches. Oh, no, they don't. Those don't match. That's not part of the yeah. set. No, because like the teapot is ex- extremely like different. It looks like even sort of different materials. Yeah. Like the teapot is like white and like normal with like a pattern on it. And the teapot is like flesh colored ceramics with all sorts of weird like stuff on it. I don't know. I, yeah. I just like it, it was something that occurred to me as I was watching and I was like, I must take. I went back to take a screenshot. Get, yeah, we need that. We, we need a screenshot. Yeah. No, like that is. Those are very old lady extra. Mm hmm. All right. Um, so let's let's continue with the recap. Yeah. We can, we Michael, can debate whether or not Sharon Glass's character is dumber than she acts or not later. Yeah, yeah. Michael suggests the via and the voiceover that she's situationally unaware of what his job is. She men- mentions that she might have memory problems again. Michael finds a bug and an outlet and figures out that whatever is recording the info is probably in an empty house in the neighborhood. His mom confirms that there is, in fact, an empty house. At which point. We get more wild editing mm-hmm. of Michael just jogging two doors down. Like, but also like they need the transitionary shot of him running. So what are they supposed to do? Just like static wide shot of him just running down the street, no cuts. Because <laughs> that would be extremely funny, but not for this show. I think they're just like it's action time. Look, action. But it, they drag it out. They do drag it. Like out. it doesn't. You don't need. Here's the thing. You don't need it. He can run out the door and then like. 
kick in a door, and you get inside shot of the door getting kicked in, and he's in there. Oh, That's yeah, it's, all you it's need. definitely an overshot everything. Like, Burn Notice is 100% in almost every episode overshot. This feels like padding. It's just, yeah, because we don't need, we even just even like one quick shot of him running. Uh, fucking him, like, doing a jump over a fucking bush, and that sells it. He's right, well, and that's the thing, is I think that what the Burn Notice directors specifically don't seem to understand is that you don't need eight shots of him jumping over a bush. And then eight shots of him running. You just need one shot of him running, one shot of him jumping over the bush. Like, you can have lots of shots, but they should all be showing different things. Otherwise, yeah. it's like, why is this the fifth angle of him jumping over a bush? We, we know he jumped over the bush. Just jump. And we know he slammed in the door. We got that shot. Like, yeah. they, they have, it's so overcovered. And I don't, and I think it's just because they don't trust themselves to have a, like, tense, action-packed moment. Which yeah. I don't think that they should have been so worried about. Because I actually, like, we're, we're about to get to the end of this uh, cold open. But, like, I genuinely enjoyed this cold open. Like, it was high energy. There was a lot of stuff packed into it. But it was pretty succinct other than the shots chosen. Like, we, we got a lot of things communicated very efficiently. And it was, like, action-packed. And then there was, like, intrigue at the end like it was a fun like well paced cold open because i was excited and i was energized and i was like oh wow he knows someone's following him he figured out through spycraft how they got a bug on him and what kind of bug it is so he can determine where the listeners might be and then he immediately like takes action upon that thing runs over and then the everything's on fire but like you know it's like a good cool shot and he's doing all this stuff like i don't know i thought it was high energy and i thought it was well done see i thought it was, i thought it was really badly paced because yeah like he gets he kicks in the door like like, and explains then like his spy voiceover that like once they know that you know about the bug they're gonna destroy everything and you gotta get there fast mm-hmm. um and so like he shows up and all the listening equipment is on fire and like two guys and they're properly dressed for the heat yes uh, everyone but michael weston is dressed for the heat and like and they run out and they get in their car and like that's yeah that is the cold open it doesn't feel like that much happens. I mean, like, it's a cold open, so not that much, like... Well, he he determines one of the places that surveillance photos of him were taken. He determines uh, that his mother's house has been bugged and how and when. He determines where the bug is and how far away the people who bugged him would be based on the type of bug that it is because, hey, Michael Weston knows about spy stuff. Then he runs over, attempts to, like, apprehend them, but they were just too fast for him, and he, like, he, he kicks down a door into a house that's burning... Uh, a bunch of equipment and he like looks out the window I don't know it's just it was very fast paced I think it wasn't I think it was partially because so much of it is bogged down in like bad conversations with the mom well every conversation with the mom exactly but that's the thing is that like that's like what we're spending time in like because we're spending so much time in that like basically everything feels motivated like I understand why he's doing everything I understand where he's going I understand what he's trying to get out of the scene despite the fact that his mom is being like a huge obstacle which I think is the point of that because the entire episode his mom is being an obstacle exactly like for her own needs which like is set up here yeah no totally it's just I I just it it felt like it was exactly what it needed to do and it was certainly way more interesting of a cold open than the cold open from the pilot which I mean, was, like, confusingly shot and overshot. Oh, definitely. And, like, there was a lot of weird, like, stuttering <laughs> effects or whatever. It just, it felt like, it felt like there were interesting things happening, but so much of the cold open was focused on the least interesting bits. It's like... That's fair, it's but like I think we're but really, on balance for me, it worked for me. Yeah. We're, like, focusing in on this conversation. Like, like, I feel like 90% of that, like, cold open is like Madeline's their name, right? Madeline the mm-hmm. mom talking and like overcovered footage of <laughs> Michael like Weston in the, in a in a suburban like neighborhood. Like that's it. And then like beyond that there's like 10 seconds of things that are actually interesting. Anyway, it, it worked for me. Anyway, we get our title card. Yay. Burn notice. Card. And we come back right into that scene. Which, that also feels weird to me. Like, it feels weird to, like... Yeah, usually a cold open is much more separate from the, like, rest exactly. of the continuity. Yeah, like, we get a title card, we come back from commercial, and then we're like, we're, that scene is still happening. That's the other thing. Maybe that's part of reason why this scene feels so long to me, is that, like... This, it continues post-credits. It, yeah, it continues post, yeah, like, title card and commercial. Like, we're still there. We're still in this house. I don't like the way this house looks. It's just like, oh, we're still there. But anyway, we're back... 
Um, he tries to ask her again about the men who came to the house. She says she can't remember uh, because she's too worked up about this thing that happened to her friend who lives next door. She explains that uh, this woman was scammed, had all her bank info taken, and she was assaulted. Michael realizes that if he wants to get info out of his mom, he has to help this woman. Can I just say, so this is the one thing that felt a little off to me, is that I don't think I needed the old lady to be beat up. You know, that felt like an extra step that was unnecessary. Yeah, it doesn't really like, matter. No, like they just, I think it was just to sell like Michael helps people who are downtrodden and Michael helps people get back at bad people. Yeah. They aren't just identity thieves. They're bad people. Yeah, they They hit, beat up an old lady. They hit old ladies. But yeah, I just like... Every single time you see this little old lady with her black eye and her well, like, she's so say, little. Well, I would, I will say what I love about this old lady is that she is not a TV old lady. Mm-mm. No, she is an actual old lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's definitely like markedly older than Madeline, her neighbor and friend. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I didn't need to see an old lady get beat up. No, I mean the, we don't see an old lady get, but like, well, but, but we like, see the after that, effects, which exactly. is like. I've never really seen old people beat to shit. Exactly. And I didn't need it. No, we didn't. It, it felt unnecessary. Like, no. they're bad people. They stole her identity and, like, all of her savings are gone. Like, yeah. that's bad. That's bad enough. Just leave it at that, guys. Yeah. I, like, but no, the, these guys need to be, like, violent bad to, like, push Michael into action. Even though that's not what pushes Michael into action. What pushes Michael into action is he wants to get his mom to, like, shoot straight with him. I mean. <laughs> this beat up old lady does not phase him at all. I mean, like, it does kind of. And, like, and we'll get that in this next scene. Speaking of this next scene, again, all of this is almost in real time, mm-hmm. which yeah. is, like, kind of crazy to me. All yeah. this, like, like, you know, because it seems like, yeah, we, we skip over to him at her house, but her house is across the street. Mm-hmm. So it really does feel like we're just, like, living in this moment. <laughs> this is the documentary of Michael Weston's, like, day. Yeah, he meets this old woman, Laura. Um, she had gotten a certificate in the mo- in the mail saying that she'd won a prize, and she called the number, and they said they'd send some people over her to her to address the deal with the tax stuff. Okay, she so, got scammed with like a fake. You win. Yeah, we yeah. need to get tax information from you. Exactly. So we're gonna send three whole people to collect this tax information. Yeah, three you. whole people. They're gonna come. Um, and she describes these three people: an attractive blonde man, and then a regular man and woman. With brown hair. I don't remember that detail, but it's very funny that you do. <laughs> no, no. Uh, he, like, she makes a point of saying, like, the blonde man was attractive, but the other two weren't. They were just regular. They were regular. She says regular. <laughs> they looked, you know, regular. <laughs> um, and, like, especially because it was kind of like, like saying, like, well, this is the actor that we're paying more. This is the more important actor. So he gets to be attractive. Well, and I think also she's like she's very quickly trying to establish like this the the one of them is clearly the leader and it's the attractive one. Exactly. The attractive one is the boss in the center of the episode. We're like, ooh, who's this attractive man hitting old women? <laughs> I want tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. I'm sold. But yeah. And she explains that, like, they made her suspicious, and so she threatened to call the police, at which point they did, like... Beat up this old lady. Beat up this old lady, hit her in the face, and then break her arm. She's in a cast now. Yeah, again, so much, like, they could have just, like, left. They could have just, like, held her down, grabbed the final tax information they needed from her, and then, like, left. Hold her by one of her frail wrists, and then wander around her house unmolested. Threaten to, like, burn a picture of her son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's all you need. Uh, and Michael Nassim, there's a thing that's happening a lot watching this show where I feel like the writers can't decide if Michael is, cares about people or not. Yes. And they And so they kind of split the difference in every scene. And so, like, one line he'll be like, I understand. I'm empathetic. I want to help you. And then the next line they'll be like, I don't, you're icky. What? <laughs> and like, it happens in the scene. It's like, oh man, you got beat up. That's sad. I understand. Okay, I'm gonna go now though. Because I don't know what to do with this. And he's like yeah, that a lot. It's very strange. I mean, like part of it I think is that they're trying to establish that he's weird in real life. But when he's acting, like when he's pretending to be an alias, he's yeah. really like confident. But, you know, this spy is only good at being a spy. He's not good at being a normal son. And I think that's also part of it. But it, they do it so poorly. And it's also like he's not really, I mean, like he's on the job, I suppose. But it's not like he's doing an alias. I know. He's just like... A guy. Actually, like, he's the least guy because, like, this woman knows his mom. 
It's yeah. once someone knows your mom, you don't have an alias anymore. Yeah, exactly. No, it's very every every interaction that Michael Weston has as actual Michael Weston is so strange. And this happens a lot. Well, this will happen a lot in the next episode too, especially with like when he's explaining things to his clients. Yeah. It, he splits the difference between like what you were saying, like epathetic, like I, I know this is hard, but like you just have to listen to me, and just like telling them things without explanation and then expecting them to just trust him. Random man. Exactly, and. There seems to be no rhyme or reason in terms of which one he's going to go with. Yeah, it's just whatever they feel like is going to make the most interesting reaction from the, like, side character. Yeah, there's no internal consistency that mm. makes sense for the character at all. Because no. he's nothing. He's a blank. Yeah, he, he's a he's an Eggman nothing. All right. Okay, so Michael takes the case. He meets with Sam to enlist his help. Sam thinks it sounds kind of goody-goody, but he's into it. He's like, oh, saving old, like, helping old ladies. What else are you going to do next? Uh, I forgot what it was, but it was Probably very... some, like, cat up the tree. I reference. think it was a cat up a tree. It literally was a cat up a tree. And see, that's not me remembering that point of the episode. That's just me understanding what this show does. Exactly. Uh, Michael says that he can't pay him, so Sam says that in return, Michael can let him stay at his place for a week. Michael is not happy about this. Why does Sam need to stay at his place again? Didn't he, isn't he having like a problem with his lady friend? He's having a po- problem with his lady friend. You are just quoting <laughs> direct <laughs> lines of dialogue from the episode. And it's been a week, so I'm I'm actually not. I just know this show really well. Exactly. God, I love Sam. Uh, I feel like at this point, he's already become peak Sam. Oh, he's of course. Like, he's like being kind of weird and about like, oh, helping old ladies. But then is also like not, he's technically homeless. Like technically I'm homeless because his lady friend has kicked him out. Well, again, because I think at this point in time, Sam is the character that it's easier, easiest for the writers to get a handle on. Because mm-hmm, he's just Bruce Campbell. Because he's just Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell comes with a persona. Sure. Whereas, like, these other characters don't. So yeah. it's like, you already know how to write jokes for this person. Mm-hmm. It's, like, easy. Whereas with these other people, I don't know how to write jokes for them yet because I don't know who they are. Yeah. And we may never find out. <laughs> <laughs> who can say? <laughs> who can say? Michael then explains that the certificate that this woman got is fake. But there's probably only one place in Miami that does the foil embossing that's on it. Convenient. I'll cop to not knowing a lot about foil embossing. <laughs> but I bet in a city the size of Miami, mm-hmm. there's more than one person who's doing it. It does not even, it does not seem that hard. Right. Well, they're treating it like he's counterfeiting money, which like there might only be one place that does like really good laser printing for like the specific thing that needs to be on currency. Yeah. This is just a fucking certificate. Yeah. You could probably go to any Michaels and they'll have a class on foil embossing for old biddies. It's also unnecessary. He could say, like, there are a handful of places I think this could be, so let's get to calling. Exactly. And then when they get to the place that they eventually land on, say, like, all right, well, this is the last place, so I hope that it's blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like two lines of dialogue to make it, it, it other than yeah. it being, like, super convenient. And I'm just saying, fa- Matt, next, this would have been easy to fix. My favorite thing about this is imagining the props people, like, making this thing and being like, well, there's, like, five places we could get this from. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael and Sam... Return to uh, Michael's place, and Fee is there. Uh, she explains that she's never going to use her Irish accent again, and then she never does. Oh, I also, and this is this will become important next episode, but I just want to point out that Fee is revealed in the apartment via a shot of her shoes that, that she, like, peeks out from. And this is not going to be the last time that this happened, so I'm going to have a conversation about Matt Nix's weird foot thing. All slash right. the director's we'll notice's weird foot thing. We will get there. Yes, continue. She's broken into his apartment. She does that a lot. This mm-hmm. that's also something will be important. <laughs> yeah, in next, the next episode. Uh, the next episode, but we'll get there. See, they're uh, they're laying the groundwork. This show are. is a masterpiece. <laughs> All right. And then so she says that she's gonna live in Miami now. She's gonna like she's gonna try to fit in, which means no accent. Um then we also find out that Sam and Fee hate each other. Yeah, I don't think they met in the pilot, so I guess yeah. this is good background. Exactly. That. Yeah. This is that they hate each other because they have history and we're like um, a deal went bad, and, like, I think, like, Sam, like, pulled out or, like, called cops. I don't know, but, like, they, because he's a government man, and she's, like, an IRA terrorist, and, like, so they don't Some, like each other. Something happens, they don't like each other. They don't like each other. Um, but, and then, and but she finds out that they're doing a job, and she's like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun. I'll do it, too. For no reason, like, she just seems to really like Michael Weston, and, like, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's her only... She likes Michael Weston and blowing things up. And those are her only two consistent character traits. Exactly. And it just seems like... All this seems really dangerous. And... But she's decided, like, no, I'm gonna do this. Just because it sounds fun. She, I like blowing things up. 
and like I just want to be around Michael or whatever. Like that's like it. But there's well, I think about it like this. When you move to LA, if you want to like meet people, like what you're going to do is probably do some productions. Like maybe you That's and Andrew true. will work on something. And so you just sort of like tag along with Michael or uh, Andrew. Yeah. Or who in this case is a stand in for Michael West on a spy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and you guys like have to hire a couple of people. Then you meet someone or like, you know, the person that you're scamming on, you meet and you meet their criminal organization. So I think she's just like, she doesn't have a job yet. She's new to Miami. She's new to this accent. And she just needs to meet people. That's fair. Oh, I, I buy that. I do actually buy that. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, Matt Nix. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so they decide that they're all going to work together on okay. this job. Do that. But it, okay. It's fine. And we go. Um, so uh, they all, so Fee goes to the printing place and flirts with the, the one printing place the that single... can possibly do this foil embossing. <laughs> Uh, and then flirts with the guy who owns it while asking about foil embossing. I hope if you're tired of hearing about foil embossing, be gl- don't worry, we'll never speak of it again. <laughs> it's just one clue in many clues, Chris. <laughs> yes, in the trail of clues. Um, and she shows him the certificate uh, and says, I want something like this. And then seeing this, a big muscular looking bad guy with a bad guy haircut. He's got, like, ponytail and, like, a fucking goatee and stuff. Bad guy. He's a bad we, guy. We know what you're talking yeah, about. He's a, yeah, he's a bad guy. Who um, also happens to work at this printing place. Exactly. Uh, he gets nervous, and he runs. <laughs> because a woman was walking around with a certificate, that, like, and said, and that spooked him enough. Well, that's the only place that foil embossing can happen, so he knows the jig is up. And so he decides to just quit his job. <laughs> he just leaves. He fucking bolts. And then Michael, who's watching from outside, they're like, I feel like a broken window, which is weird because this is like a, this business is booming. They're the only place that does foil embossing. <laughs> and he runs out and then Michael follows him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he like follows this guy to a boat. And Michael watches as bad guy talks to... Attractive blonde man? Attractive blonde man and his two... And his two consorts. His two regular consorts. <laughs> his two regular consorts on this boat. And Michael watches. And we get introduced to our bad guys, our proper villains of the episode. Who, frankly, like, they all seem to be about equally attractive. Laura. <laughs> so judgmental. She prefers blondes. Yeah. Or maybe she's a Supernatural fan because the main con artist bad guy, Quentin, is played by Mark Pellegrino, who played Satan on Supernatural. He is also from Lost, so I will be referring to him henceforth as Guy from Lost. Similar to Priest from Psych. Exactly. From last episode. The trend is I only know character actors from one thing and refuse to refer to them as anything other. That is fair. Um, And then his two sidekicks, who you know from nothing. Yes. Because uh, they're just regular. They're, they're just, never going to get a job again. They're, they're just, just regular. regular brunettes. Um, named Greg and Bonnie. Named Greg and Bonnie. Of course, her name is Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Greg looks 12. I didn't get as much of a, like... I mean, he's, like, markedly younger than everyone else because he's supposed to be, but I didn't get the 12 cents. No, he looks very... A, he looks very young, and he also looks so much younger than Bonnie, who is ostensibly dating. <laughs> like, Bonnie, like... Bonnie looks like his mom. Back at the apartment, Sam has done surveillance on Quentin. That's the name of the oh, attractive blonde man, Quentin. Right. Um, the guy from Lost. Guy from Lost. And and knows which cool bar that he hangs out at. And <laughs> also, we figured out his name at some point. Uh, um, also, Sam has gotten a cover ID for Michael. Our first proper cover ID. Does he have a name? I didn't write down the name. He has a name, but I have forgotten what it is. On um, the cover ID was a uh, cellmate of one of Quentin's former associates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of a friend of a friend. ID, a friend of a friend. So yeah. that he has an in. Exactly. Guy from Lost. All right. So Michael shows up at this club that is Clurb. the favorite the club. <laughs> the favorite the... club of Quentin. Mm-hmm. And sits next to Quentin and does a real New York accent. It's a, as someone who lives in New York, I can attest to the fact that it is a real New York accent. Mm-hmm. It's very subtle and good. Yeah, it's very, it's very subtle. <laughs> and, he, and he explains to Quentin that he's from New York, he know, he has a mutual friend. Which you know because of his New York accent. <laughs> his New York so accent. So it's already believable, check. <laughs> exactly. But he's moved to Miami, to, like, like, now that he's out of jail, and that he has a job for Quentin. And then Quentin denies that he's a crime man. 
but Michael is persistent, saying that, of course Quentin is a crime man. He has a crime gun. <laughs> and Quentin, he points... <laughs> this is my favorite part of your recap, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so he points this gun at, like, in Quentin's pockets. Like, that's... And he says, you have this kind of gun. Uh, <laughs> a crime gun. <laughs> and then, like, Quentin threatens to call over some convenient police that happen to be in the club. And Michael decides that he needs to double down on his cover. And so Michael steals the crime gun and then points it at Quentin saying that they should go outside now because he's not going back to jail. And then once he's outside, Michael finds a very conveniently placed cop car. Well, the cop co- cops were inside, so of course there's a cop car nearby. Exactly. Like, this, this club has one door. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they go, he immediately, like, shoots the tires out of the cop car and runs away to prove that he is... Similarly, a crime man. A crime man. <laughs> Uh, cut to this like really artsy shot of Michael just making a bug in the dark just like lit by the single lamp and then he sends Sam out to bug Quentin's boat and feed a like rig his car so they can disable it Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're basically planting some seeds for when they need exactly like to use them we might need to bug his boat and like and basically, the Sam and Fee are going to work together on, mm-hmm. like, bugging... Yes. So or, it's justifying, A, putting Sam and Fee together, and also, B, justifying why all three of them need to be working this job. Exactly. And also, what I love about this is, uh, and one of the spy notes, and we'll get to the spy notes more later, but one of the spy notes that he says, like, he sa- says very early on, like, um, it's really handy to, like, be able to disable someone's car when you need to. <clears throat> I don't feel like he ever does it again. Never again in this show. I don't know. I, well, we'll have to revisit this. You will see. I want to see if they ever do this thing. Because actually, I'm like, yeah, that's a really good idea. Why is not the first step of every mission that they do disabling somebody's car? Like, I feel like or he gets at least a, rigging it to be disabled. Or so rigging, that, yeah, rigging it to be disabled so that he could, whenever he gets in a car chase or something, be like, oh, it's a good thing I have planned for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's possible that he decides not to do this because it does go bad this time. Yes. Spoiler alert. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but still, it just seemed like it seemed like such a good thing. Like, why don't you why don't you do that all the time? It's kind of like the fucking time turner in Harry Potter. Like, why aren't you just always doing that? Yeah. Uh, and then so uh, while they're while Sam and Fee are working on like bugging things mm-hmm, and bickering, and bugging and bickering, um, Michael meets up um, with Quentin again, and like a scene that like begins begins with like a pan away from like a bikini butt, just like really like. Focusing on it and then moving away. Like, no reason. We don't need it. It's just there. Uh, well, to remind you that, if in case you hadn't noticed, we're in Miami. We're in Miami, and there are butts And there. this is a show for straight men. Only. <laughs> straight men only. Uh, and then, like, pan over to Quentin, um, sitting next to another attractive woman, who, like, he makes go away <laughs> the second that Michael sits down so that the men can talk. <laughs> Man talk. And so Michael, who had had run off with the crime gun, mm-hmm. returns it and says, here you go, I'm I'm chill, you get your gun back, let's talk business. Sure. Meanwhile... More fee- bugging and bickering. More, uh, more bugging and bickering. So Michael and Quentin meet up with um, the all-important Greg and Bonnie. The regular brunettes. The regular brunettes. <laughs> uh, to discuss Michael's plan. Because Michael is pretending to be a con artist and he has a scam. Annuities. You sell someone an annuity... And you get access to all kinds of info, Michael explains. He, he's got forged documents, and that he can use these forged documents to get all these people's info and all that stuff. But Quentin doesn't seem into it, but Greg, the young boy, mm-hmm. does. <laughs> His son. His Papa. son. His son. Um, they really are like Papa Bear, Mama Bear, Baby Bear. <laughs> That's. And then so... Uh, Quentin, like, doesn't like the fact that Greg is into this and seems, like, super excited about it. So he sends Greg away. And then Bonnie goes with Greg because Bonnie only exists to be with Greg. Yeah, Bonnie doesn't have any, like, of her own stuff the entire episode. Exactly. Bonnie is a prop. Bonnie is a prop. Bonnie exists only to be there with Greg. Like, she does nothing. Well, Greg can't go anywhere on his own. He needs parental... Exactly. (laughs) ...guidance. And then Michael... Like sensing hesitation from Quentin, acts like, "All right, fine, you don't want me, I'll walk away." Uh, while at the same time showcasing his uh, incredible T nine skills, because he has to text with his flip phone under the table to let uh, his bickering pals know that uh, Greg and his mom are coming back to the bar. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and I just thought it was funny because, like, you can tell he's using T nine, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh man, remember that?" 
September 2007. Oh, vaguely. I wish I didn't. Oh, God. Greg and Mom, Greg and Bonnie are going back to the boat where Sam and Fee are. They're, and, like, again, like, she doesn't like computers, for like, because that's his thing. Sure. And he doesn't like explosives or whatever. Like, you know. Um, and so now she's... It, it, it's, it's, it's brains versus brawn. Basically. Where we're, we're supposed to think... But that, she's that's... brawn. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Which is... That's... Isn't that a subversion? <laughs> Hashtag feminism. Exactly. And so now it's her turn to be uh, annoyed about the thing that he's doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Michael texts them to warn them that Greg and Bonnie are coming, but they don't hear the phone buzz because of the bickering. Mm-hmm. Because of their flaws as characters. Uh... <laughs> And so, and Greg- the fact that working together might not be so easy after all. Oh no, you don't say! <laughs> and so they arrive, and they finally realize right as they're about to get on the boat that Greg and Bonnie are there. And so, what they decide to do is pretend that they're fucking. Mm-hmm. Which here's here's another thing that I really liked about this episode is I think that's a great play in terms of like you know last minute shit we can't hide so we got to put something together like them pretending to fuck and then like them being the very archetypes that they are like Bruce Campbell looks like a sleazy guy who would like scam a woman into thinking this is his yacht and uh, Fiona does kind of look like a waif like you yeah. know dits and she certainly dresses like one in these episodes because it's Miami and that's exactly. how women dress. Uh, I really like this scene. I oh. thought it was cute. I thought it was funny. I thought that it like it played to both of their strengths. She got to slap him and be mad at him. He got to be kind of bumbling and like, "Hey, babe, relax." Yeah, no, it was great. I thought, yeah, this is probably the highlight of this episode. Mm-hmm. No, it works very well. General, in general, this episode is better when it's Sam and Fee than when it's. Oh, for sure, yeah. Because uh, like, despite the fact that this is technically our first distinct alias, despite the fact that the alias has a name we don't remember. Uh, it's not a very good alias. No. In terms of the aliases that Michael Weston puts on for some of these spy games, uh, this is one of the weaker ones. Exactly. It's guy with New York accent who does scams. I It's funny because I do not remember what this alias's name was. Exactly. But I do remember that their mutual friend is Paco. <laughs> but yeah, and so they make it out just in time because... They're, the idea that he's a sleazy old man <laughs> is very believable. <laughs> yeah, immediately they're both like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that tracks. All right. So, and then later, Sam and Fee explain all this to Michael, who explains that they're going to need to get to drive the con artist apart because clearly Greg is into it and Quentin's not. And so they're going to have to like make them fight with it, uh, within yeah. each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, I think the idea is that a uh, guy from Lost feels too secure, so he doesn't really need this new guy in his new plan. Exactly. Uh, and even though he's annoyed with Greg, like, you know, he's already got a team. He's already got a thing he's doing. Exactly. So if they drive a wedge between them. Exactly. Then this guy might be more uh, interested in the super sexy annuity scam. Exactly. All right. So then, uh, then uh, Michael asks Fee when they're alone for a favor. But a favor that it turns out Fee has already agreed to, because in order to get uh, info from Michael's mom, they have to go to dinner. Uh, well, yeah, and this happens multiple times. Like it happened in the pilot too, where Fee like independently reaches out to Michael's mom, a because it'll piss Michael off, but b because she wants to get to know Michael's family because her only two character traits is she likes blowing shit up and Michael. Exactly. Um, how does she have Michael's mom's information? I, well, because they've never met. We know this is the first time they've met. Is it really the because first time? Because she says, I'm, it's so great to finally meet you. I've I heard mean, so much about you. I mean, they, I don't know. No, they've never met. Like, in the scene with the mom later on in this episode, it is. it becomes immediately clear this is the first time she's ever actually met her. That's so... I mean, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. Yeah, no, she's so familiar. And, I, and part of it is definitely to piss Michael off, but yeah. also part of it is definitely to, like, try to needle him into, like, making it a fish. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've already met your mom. It's fine. Exactly. It's fine. Well, not in the uh, last episode. Yeah. Uh, but it, but before before that dinner, something else happens. But before, yeah, Michael yeah, Michael meets with Quentin again, who's still on the fence about Michael's whole annuity scheme. Then Michael mentions uh, Greg and Bonnie, and Quentin uh, maintains that he's the boss. And that, like, it doesn't matter what Greg and Bonnie say. Like, I'm the boss. I was on Lost and Supernatural. <laughs> I'm the attractive one. The old lady said so. <laughs> And then, like, and then he kind of tries to catch Michael in a lie about Paco. Mm-hmm. Um, They're very the char- good mutual friend. They're very, yeah. Where, because um, he doesn't really trust Michael. So he's like, hey, you know, uh, Paco. Michael's very pushy. Yeah. He is very pushy. Um, he's in he's New like, York. What are you exactly. Say? What are you going to do? Quentin's like, hey, you know, our mutual friend Paco, he used to make real good prison wine, didn't he? Wasn't that prison wine so good? 
And then Michael, and then Michael's like, "What are you talking about, Paco? The teetotaler." <laughs> <laughs> and then luckily, that's the right answer. And later, Fiona's like, "How did you know?" And he's like, "I guessed." Yeah. And I will say, like, fair enough, because that's, like, a thing that you kind of have to do when you're in a situation where you're trying to pretend you know more than you do, that you just, like, make big swings. And, like, fair enough, like, the guy saying something really weird, like, <laughs> implies that you should say the opposite. Yeah. Because if you just agree to it, then you're caught in a lie. But I don't know if I, as the guesser in that situation, would have gone as far as, he doesn't drink. Exactly. I would have been like, he didn't make bathtub wine. I would have just, like, stuck with that. But, like, my exactly. going as far as, like, he doesn't even drink at all. <laughs> was like, is, that's that... a swing. Paco was straight edge. Because, <laughs> yeah, I was, like, half expecting, like, like half expecting, like, no, he made, like, prison vodka. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, he, he was like, there's, a, there's one of two answers. I'm like, no, Michael, there were many more, and you chose a very specific one. Yeah. Like, I buy the gambit. I don't buy that that was the answer. Exactly. Like, that, that seemed like a bigger swing than he needed to take. I would have gone more subtle and be like, what are you talking about? He never made me prison wine. Uh, you know, or something like that. That might even, like, imply Paco has changed or, like, whatever. Exactly. It's, like, this... it's, it's less definitive. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I didn't buy the answer. I bought the gambit. Exactly. Yeah. And then, okay, so on the way to his mom's house, uh, Michael calls Sam, and Sam explains that he is making a fake paper trail to make it look like Greg and Bonnie are going to run off on Quentin. Mm-hmm. And not just run off on him, because I don't think he would care about that, but also, like, and steal, steal shit from him. Steal, yeah, steal his money. Um, and leave on his yacht. Yeah, exactly. And he's planted all this paper trail, like, and all this fucking stuff and on the yacht. Anyway, so that's what Sam is doing. That's what Sam is doing. While Michael and Fee are talking to Michael's mom. And, and also Laura's there. Little old lady Laura's there. Little old beat up old lady. And after dinner, like, they kind of chat with Fiona. And, like, yeah, I guess we learned that, like, they've, they've never actually met. And mm-hmm. then, you know. And it's, like, a very nice and pleasant conversation. Even though and Michael's being super weird the whole time. The whole time. And then Madeline and Michael talk about the men who came to the house. Um, and she says that she told them, like, because they, they had asked about him and what he was like. And we get slightly more information. Not all of the information. So she's still withholding a little bit. Yeah. But the little bit of information we get is, yeah, that the, the, the men asked about Michael. Exactly. They asked about Michael. Um, and, like, if he'd gotten in contact with, with her or anything. And then she says that um, he was the perfect son. He's the perfect son who always called and was always there um, because it seemed nicer to the, than the truth. And it's all very sad. And it's very poor mom. Yeah, aw, boo-hoo. Oh, yeah. Maybe be better. Yeah. Um, anyway. But then, in the middle of this scene, Michael gets a call from Quentin, who has found all of Sam's fake paper trail. Like, immediately. Immediately. Apparently, part of the thing that Sam did, like, was he signed them up for, like, a vacation package. And apparently, part of the vacation vacation package is that they send you a bottle of champagne in the mail and like he didn't realize that the champagne was going to get there that soon and so the guy and so quentin sees the champagne is like what's what's this like travel champagne oh my god and then he looks around and then finds everything that was supposed he was supposed to find over like weeks mm-hmm. and he's like oh no and he's like so and he is like going to kill greg and bonnie mm-hmm. he is like pissed and he calls up michael and it's like are you on in on this did you buy the champagne are you a dirty champagne drinker what the fuck <laughs> i thought we were crime men together exactly and michael's like calm down it's only champagne if it's grown in the champagne region of france <laughs> otherwise it's just sparkling wine uh, and he says that like no obviously i'm not in on it and he kind of talks him down but quentin's like i'm gonna kill those kids and so michael calls sam tells him it's like watch quentin and make sure that he doesn't leave Right as he says he's going to try to leave, that's when he tries to leave. It's very good timing. Very good timing. And then so... There's only one place you get foil embossing. And exactly when you call your your man outside, (laughs) the man he's watching emerges. And and so, like, Sam's like, oh, don't worry. I got this. And he disables the car. And he really disables the car because it explodes. Yay! Fiona blows something up. It's the first time Fiona blows something up. And I love my girl. I love my ultra-violent girl. And it wasn't even on purpose, because apparently she was supposed to rig an explosive to, like, the electrical system, but she rigged it to the gas tank instead, because those are right next to each other. Um, Did she say that she did it accidentally? Because I feel like she did it on purpose, and this is, like, an example of, like, Fiona's a little hot-headed. It's possible, but, like... I I read it as... read it. I watched it as, like, she did this on purpose. No, see, like, I read... like, because it seems like that... 
She doesn't seem surprised or perturbed at all. I know. I feel it. She does feel like it. I don't know. I read hers because she was like, "It's disabled." Well, yeah, like, but it's, it's like disabled. But like, yeah, but she doesn't that sort of teenager way where they like can't be like, "Oh, I fucked." They don't want to admit that they fucked up, but they're like, "Well, yeah, well, you wanted it disabled, so I that's what that I did." I think she feels like she fucked up, but not because she made a mistake, like in planting it, because we know she's too good at it. I think she realizes. Do we that know that? I feel like we do. Well, we learn it eventually. Like, I know, but I, not in episode two. Fair enough, but I believe her that she knows it. I feel like she the mistake she thinks she that, that she made that she realized is not that she fucked up where to put the bomb. It's that she fucked up the thing that Michael asked her to do. Like she knows she went too far, and See, that's why I she's being petulant. But I don't think that it was a mistake. I don't think so because like, what if they had tried to disable the car with him in it? Like. I feel like there's a lot of ways that it could have gone bad. Like, this was the best case scenario. But I think that that's the point. I think that the point is that Fiona is a little bit too violent. And it's just like, well, the problem is that this man stole from them. So let's just kill him. Because that's a, that's her solution a lot. It's like, why are we bothering with all this should spycraft we, stuff? Should we shoot them? Exactly. Yeah. That's but, that's her whole thing. It's possible. Yeah. But it's, it's I don't know. Especially since, like, I mean, she does fuck up. Like, part of the, the thing about this and also, is like, that they, bo- yeah, they, yeah, they, they both, both fuck, fuck up, up. And they both fuck up in like, specifically comical ways. Exactly. Because it's burn notice and we can't have real stakes. Exactly. So I don't think that they thought far ahead enough as, like, she's going to kill this man. I think it's more of, like, she's too much. It's possible. But, like, I don't know. I, I didn't get that right from But, like, ultimately it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And so the car explodes and Quentin's, like, now Quentin's really scared. Um... And then Michael's pissed because both Sam and Fee have super fucked up with the car and the the fucking, like, paper the trail. Champagne. The champagne. all that stuff. And also he's pissed because the FBI is watching him again. They, was, they were supposed to be off, off his back. Sam was supposed to come off his back here. But, on his back. But now there's explosions and they're exactly. like, Michael Weston, what did you do? Exactly. And then Fee is like, well, you wanted to disabled. And then she's like, no, this is a good thing because now he's scared. Because someone tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. And so, like, scared people make bad decisions. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, look on the bright side. Um, and, like, he's probably really scared now. But Michael's like, well, I don't know what he's like because I can't get a hold of him. He's, like, not returning any of my calls. Um, and then there's this bit at the end of the scene. Yogurt number two. Yogurt number two. Oh, by the way, I've decided to, in addition to tracking our ratings, tracking how many yogurts are consumed uh, in each episode. So we're now up to two yogurts. And there's a bit at this end of the scene where, like, Fee, like, brings him, like, a spoonful of yogurt, like, to his mouth. And then the scene cuts before we see if he eats the yogurt. Did he eat the yogurt? Did he eat the yogurt? I mean, of course he ate the yogurt. He's burned out as he eats yogurt. That's what burned out as does. That's what burned does. I think they like to edge us. Yeah, they do. It's a a big tease of a scene. But yeah, back at the club. um, The club. The club. uh, Michael's trying to find a new way to get in touch with Quentin. And explains that like a real good way to get in touch with women is to like get like touch with Quentin is to get in touch with like women at the club because they probably know. And, and he s- and he probably has a separate phone number for women. Exactly. Which I guess makes sense, but also like come well, on, son. You have your crime number. You got I your- mean, like, I can believe that like it's a thing where you wouldn't want like drug dealers to be calling you on the same phone number as like your girlfriends, because yeah. then if you get a phone number like from your girlfriend, but on a crime phone that you're waiting for a call, like yeah. that could get confusing. Exactly. Yeah, I think. So you know what? I buy it, Michael. Yeah, no, it makes sense. He pretends to be a club promoter. This is technically another alias. <laughs> this is a half alias. It's like, I'm a club promoter, and like, I got this hot party that I want Quentin to go to, but I can't get in touch with Quentin. Where is he at? Can someone give me his number? And the and the club girls are like, oh, well, I'll give you my number if we get to go to this party. It's like, hell yeah, you can go to this party. I don't feel like this is an alias because he doesn't have a name slash identity. He's just, this is just him lying. That's and I feel fair. like that's different from a distinct alias. But I do think he's like putting on a character a little bit. Yes, but it's not a distinct alias. That's fair. There's characters and there's aliases. Gotcha. And I think we need to... Alias is a show about us, but... <laughs> And then we find Quentin. The, the promoter gag works. Yeah, exactly. He gets in touch with Quentin, who wants to kill Greg and Bonnie. Michael says, like, he knows a guy who can kill them without leaving a trace. Because <laughs> he doesn't just know annuities. He knows assassins. Assassins. Um, he knows assassins. And all he's got to do is transfer some money. Which is, like, I'm assuming the original plan was, like, annuity, was just this annuity scam and, like, getting some money. I'm not exactly sure where, how he was going to scam... Quentin out of money in the first place. I love how quickly, like, this is the plan. Well, I think they would probably have set up, like, a fake mark. 
and like gotten their details and so Michael would have finagled himself into like no give me the details for like the wire I will take care yeah. of it and I'll show you this and then he would get it because this feels more like a con than whatever it was that he was mm-hmm. it, it's I mean it's certainly a shorter term con yeah. than the original exactly um, and then so uh, Sam and Fee show back up on the boat just as detectives and convince Greg and Bonnie that they are police uh, that the police are coming for them and Greg and Bonnie take the boat out in the ocean, and Sam loses a bet that they'd leave by four, by four o'clock to Fee. And Fee wins Fee wins the bet, and they're friends now. Yeah. They are friends. Because shorthand for people are getting to know each other, are, are, like, fine with working together, is that they have some sort of, like, slightly uncouth bet exactly. on other human beings. Yeah, it means that they're fine. Also, in this scene, Sam, like, refers to them as Cagney and Lacey. And so it's a refers good... Refers to themselves. Refers, like, yeah, sorry. I'm refers, Cagney, she's Lacey. Exactly, when they're pretending to be detectives. Like, we're Cagney and Lacey, which... It's a good thing Greg is 12. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that's a very obvious reference. Yeah. Greg and Bonnie are on the run. And Michael shows up at Quentin's place and says that the FBI is telling Quentin because, well, the FBI is telling Michael. And so he can point to, like... Michael can point to his own FBI tale and say, fucking FBI out there. Mm-hmm. And, very convenient. And then, like, it, he makes it seem more urgent than ever that they wire money to the hitman because, like, the FBI is on his ass. And then Michael convinces Quentin to give uh, Michael his account info so that Michael can do the wire transfer instead of Quentin. he's the one that knows the hitman. Exactly. And also, the FBI are, on, are watching Quentin. The idea is that, like, the FBI might follow Quentin. He's like, says at the end, you got to make sure the FBI follow you. And, make, and so, like, making sure that the FBI, like, Quentin thinks that the FBI are on him and that Michael can do the wire transfer and it's fine. And so and so he gets the info and he makes the wire transfer and steals Quentin's identity um, and then he uses it to get him arrested by making making it so that it looks like Quentin contacted terrorist organization. I think that's a, it was a very funny just little thing like one way to get somebody like actually tailed by the FBI is to steal their identity and just like call ISIS. Exactly. <laughs> Which is very funny to me to think of Michael just like chilling in his apartment yeah. eating yogurt and like calling ISIS. Exactly. Just like hey it's the guy from Lost. Yeah. Want to meet up? Oh. Uh, that's how I imagine that scene. This is very important. You know that ISIS didn't exist at this point right? Okay cool. Everything's happy. Laura's got her money again. Uh, guy from Lost is arrested because yeah. of all the terrorist ties. Exactly. Uh, Greg and Bonnie, who knows what happened to them? They're mm-hmm. out on the ocean and they got bitten by a shark or something. Yeah. Well, they're uh, too dumb to do it on their own, I think, is the idea. So exactly. as long as they're out of the way, yeah, they're problem solved. Exactly. They're fine. If they ever should have come back, Quentin will be gone because he's in jail. Mm-hmm. And that will confirm their suspicion that they're like the they gotta clean the, They got to clean up their act. Exactly. Um, and then, like... Everything's happy. Laura has her money, and Michael only charges her three hundred dollars for expenses. Um, I think like he was gonna, he was going to charge more than he like, was going to charge five hundred, which yeah. is still not that much based on what we know they have done in order to solve yeah. this case. Exactly. Uh, and Madeline is happy and gives Michael one last piece of information: a number that the man had given given her to call Michael, which is also like again, kind of into this idea of like. What, how much she knows about like who these men are and all that stuff, where like she knows this is important to him, but also like doesn't think it's so important that he needs to know it right away. Like, she doesn't seem to get that he's like in danger. Well, yeah, I mean, well, th- and that's that's my problem is that I don't believe that that makes sense <laughs> for a woman who knows her son as a spy. And it's not just that they said, Here's a number you can call, it's that, here's a number you can call if he ever contacts you. Exactly, that's suspicious, regardless of what she thinks his job is. Someone who says they're from the government who he allegedly works for yeah. saying, Hey, if he gets in touch with you, call us. That's suspicious. That is very regardless suspicious. Regardless of what you think your son does. Exactly. So I either think this is shoddy writing, more likely, or that, like, she is, like, willfully putting her son in danger for her own needs. I mean, it's 601. Ugh. But yeah. Um, so he calls the number. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, yeah, he asks if she had called it. And she says, no, of course not, because family comes first. Exactly. But yeah, you didn't give him the number. Yeah. Um, Completely inconsistent. Exactly. Or she's, like, dangerously psychotic. Exactly. I mean, all of these make sense. (laughs) Um, So Michael calls the number, and the man on the phone says that Michael's been a busy boy, and that he'll be in touch. Cuts a close-up of Michael's face, and then a close-up of his eyes. It's like three, like, like, cuts in to his eyes. Mm -hmm. Like, like... Like he's about to have an anime fight. Close-up, yeah. (laughs) Close-up, extreme close-up, eyes. Burn notice, baby! And that's episode two of Burn Notice. It's called Identity. It sure is. All right, let's talk about spy tips now. The first spy tip, a surveillance photo can tell you a lot about the photographer. 
But then he doesn't explain how. No. There's no, like, actual case study for. For example, this one means he exactly. doesn't do that at all. No, it doesn't do that. He just uh, says blithely, like, yeah, yeah, you can tell a lot about them. Like... What can you tell about them? I'm not spies. telling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He also explains that you can't choose your intelligence sources, which is, again, this is all nothing. Yeah, and it's a, well, it's a reference to his mother. His mother. Who he's like, shit, I need to get mo- information out of my mom. I yeah. wish I had a different information source. This, this episode in general is very bad for spy advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as um, evidenced by, like, the... Yeah. How few of them are actually practical, yeah. Exactly. But the f- one that is practical is uh, short-term bugs use battery, but long-term bugs use house power. So uh, if you're looking for a bug, like if it's long-term, you maybe want to look at an outlet. And also, if it has a transmitter, you can figure out how close the listener is. Based on what kind of transmitter it is, exactly. I think, is the yes. Presumption. Which is, again, one of the things I liked about the cold open is that it shows, like, he knows his stuff. He knows that if these men came a long time ago, the bug needed to be long-term. It couldn't just be battery-powered. So he knew to look to the outlets. And then when he looked at the outlets and he found the bug, he could tell what kind of transceiver it was and was was very quickly able to be like, all right, what kind of transceivers are there? This this many kinds. This is the kind that this is. Mom, where's a nearby empty house? Yeah, it's very much like a modern version of Sherlock Holmes knowing way too much about cigar... Right, right, but also, like, this yeah. is his craft. No, exactly. No, like, that's like Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes's craft was cigar leavings. Fair enough. <laughs> um, another one for once your surveillance is on to you, the clock starts ticking, which that's true. It's practical-ish, but I yeah. didn't feel like no. that was particularly groundbreaking, so I'm not counting this no. practical tip. Um, and there's one uh, that was just an aside more like spies shouldn't have parties because everyone they know has, like, a history. Which is, that's not like... Oh, is that a reference to Fiona and Sam? Fiona and Sam. Got it. His uh, only two friends in the his world. His only two friends. And they have a history. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's practical. No, although, that's nothing. That's nothing. Uh, number uh, six here. The best way to get intel on someone is to see them, set them in motion. Pros hire amateurs. Like, best be, um, beat the bushes a little and see who, like, panics. So basically, like, yeah, if you want to know... It's like, you want to know, like... Um, what someone's up to just like yeah see what happens when they have to like panic and whatever and mm-hmm. th- that seems like sort of yeah that's interesting like give them a problem and see how they solve it you yeah. can learn a lot about them by just like surveilling how they deal with like a problem that you set up that's like yeah. unrelated to things just yeah. to sort of see what their operation looks like exactly and there's also like a, a second sort of tip in here about like the idea that like the like people that the pros hire are usually more shakable than like the pros themselves. Yeah. So so, like, so you don't really need to find the pro immediately. Just find a couple of their amateurs and fuck with them, and they'll immediately run back to the pro. Exactly. The pro would never run to another pro. No. Exactly. But if you can find the amateur, they'll always lead you back to mama. This sounds like BDSM cult. <laughs> uh, uh, number seven. Con artists and spies are basically the same. Professional liars. Not like, practical. No. Just a fact. Yeah, that's true. Um. And, uh, like, going on that theme, to be a con artist, you have to be better at his own game of lying. The lying game. Also not practical. That's just, yeah, no shit. Exactly. You have to lie to people to lie to them. Yeah. Um, And then, number nine, uh, no matter how good your cover identity is, like, you have to sell it. And I feel like that's practical-ish, especially in the way that he uses these. Like, shit, he doesn't think I'm a crime man. I better do a crime thing. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and then, like, like, you can't just say, I'm a crime man. You have to actually do a do crime. Do a crime, yeah. Um, or, and then, like, going into the next tip, running from crops, running from crops, <laughs> running from cops gives you crime cred. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, yeah. practical-ish. Yeah, exactly. See a cop? Run. Yeah. You exactly. are a crime man. Exactly. <laughs> 11. Eavesdropping and field work go hand in hand. Bugs don't plant themselves. Cool, uh, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can... See, like, this one is interesting, but I think this is practical. Well, he's just saying that you can do it, not that how to do it. Like, it's I mean, not we practical to say. The thing is that, like, we eventually kind of learn... You can punch someone in the face, Chris. That's not practical. No, I can't. Chris, don't uh, put your thumb in your fist when you're punching them. Otherwise, like, the little bones in your hand will get hurt. That's a practical tip. That's true. I mean, like, we eventually do find out how they were supposed to disable the car, though, so, like... All right, I'll, I'll give this one to you. Yeah, I think, like, um... Because I, I remember, like, yeah, when he says the tip, I was like, wait, really? Like, how is that possible? And then, like, I learned out how the, the thing that was supposed to happen. And I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. And, yeah, this is another one that's a good one, though. A good cover lets the other guy think he's in control. Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, club girls are a good source of info. Do you consider that practical? Uh, not particularly. Yeah, okay. 
And then a hitman is like a dentist. Everyone is always looking for a good one. He says dentist. He also says like plumber. He's like, he has a whole list of things. I feel, I kind of feel like John Mulaney watching Ice-T where I could just watch him listing examples. Uh, and then finally. Identity theft is easy. You just need an ID and an account number. Which feels untrue. Yeah. So I'm not giving him practical advice for that because that seems like bullshit. Uh, so overall, I'm, I think we're weighted in terms of like passive observations. Yeah, not as many spy tips. So that tenant does not work. So episode. speaking of, let's rate this episode. All right. So does Michael Weston solve the weekly problem with spycraft rather than violence? I mean, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he is mostly lying. Exactly. And, and they really didn't do violence. And lying, like, lying is like spycraft and concraft. Exactly. He strategically lied to get everyone into the position they needed yeah. to. Exactly. So, fair enough, Michael Weston did, did, done did it. Yeah, he done did it. Michael Weston's spy advice voiceover involves practical spy advice? No. So no. failure of the second tenet. Yes. So he, they need to nail the, the, next the next two. Which, let's see if they do. Uh, Michael Weston debuts or revisits a distinct alias. We have an alias. But is it distinct? Because, like, when I think distinct alias, the first thing that I think of is, I think later in season one, he, like, has an outfit that he wears and he he, he has to pretend to be crazier than, like, the local gang. Do you remember this episode? He's, I, like, trying to protect a small I'm, neighborhood. I'm going to be honest. I remember no episodes of Fernandez. Fair enough. But anyways, but, like, when I, I don't think distinct remember alias, episode. I don't just think, like, Man with New York accent I mean, who knows yeah, Paco. This is the first one. It's the first one, but is it distinct? And I like if it's going to be a great Burn Notice episode, it needs to be a great alias. It needs to be a distinct alias. Are we going to let the first one, because it's the first one, get a pass? We need uh, to hold the show to higher standards. Well, no, but I also think it's unfair to judge like an episode of a show. like Because the thing is that... like. The first one's always going to be less because the whole point of it is escalation, you know? I don't think that's necessarily true. The first one should have come out swinging. So we just need to decide whether or not we think that New York accent who knows Paco is a distinct alias enough to fulfill a tenant to make this a great Bird Notice episode. Uh, I don't care. Um, I kind of want to give it to him, but like, I see your argument as to why they don't. Um, like... As I, I can agree to it if only you will grant me that in episodes after the first one that then Alias shows up in, we need to be more discerning about, like, if it's a good Alias or if he just lies a little more than usual. Will um, you grant me that for future debates? Oh, yeah, no, totally. So then I, I will grant you that because it's the first Alias and because allegedly he has a name and he has a great accent and he knows Paco, yeah. I will give you this tenant. Because I, because I'm, what I'm curious about is whether or not. I also like this episode, so I'm yeah. inclined to give it a great burn notice episode pass. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I definitely will have, hold it to a higher standard. In the uh, future? Yes, 100 Okay, so then fair enough. He has, he debuts a distinct alias and also solved the weekly problem with Spycraft. So we've got two of the four. So now, uh, the clinch, are the show's sidekicks used well? Uh, does Fiona get to blow something up? Hell yes, she, yes does. she does. And does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? Hell he, yes, he does. He is not wearing pants. Two for two. So yeah. uh, I think we can officially establish this is a great Burn Notice episode, All but right. is it a great episode of television? No, it's not. I think it's better than the pilot I by mean, a lot. And I also think it's better than episode three, which we'll get to right. next week, ladies and gentlemen. But are you saying you, you will, I mean, we've mathematically proven it's a great Burn Notice episode, yeah. but you don't think it's a great episode of television? I don't think it's a great episode of television. Why not? Um, well, I mean, because I could say, like, yeah, there's a little bit of identity theft in it. There's also not that much, really. Like, I mean, it's a well-put-together piece of television. The characters live up to their thing. I mean, there's a good sort of through line of the mom withholding information for very specific reasons with a very clear motivation. And Michael, like, and, and like, everything they do incrementally gets them closer to their various goals. I mean, that's true. And that makes it an episode of television. Well, I think that the pilot was a lot more scattershot and, like, yeah. bizarre in terms of its motivation. I mean, it's fair. I mean, like, the pilot wasn't quite an episode of television. Yeah. I would argue, like, to me, an episode of television means, like, competence. It means um, that it exists. Exists. And, and like, technically was broadcast on television. Well, no, no. I think there are things that are broadcast on television that aren't an episode of television. <laughs> um, I guess we'll get to that later in the season, maybe, then. Um, and so, like... I whereas I feel like a great episode of television is about something, you know. And you uh, don't think that this really says. No, I don't like get like. That's fair. 
I don't feel I didn't at the end of it feel like I was better for watching it or like get what the point of watching it all was. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was definitely something with Sam and Fiona. I like the Sam and yeah, Fiona. There, yeah, there was there was a lot of great undercurrents, but I think I, I agree with the overall the storytelling was not as strong as it could have exactly. been. Exactly. And it wasn't like it wasn't sort and it of wasn't like consistent building. enough. Exactly. I feel like if the episode had been more about Sam and Fee and like and like about the identity of this team. Exactly, like, yeah. Because, like, I did like that, you know, we established early on that, like, it wasn't going to be as simple as, like, Michael's back in F- Miami, and even though that's inconvenient, he's got this great team already. Like, yeah. I like that it, they made us work for it. Exactly. In one episode. And I mean, it, it comes up later. And it's sort of interesting, like, how the show gives us these two, this, these parallel teams with, like, the head and then, like, the two secondary people. And then, like, doesn't really do anything with that. Like, obviously, okay. like, they li- they both live in their sort of, like, like episodes. They're, like, obviously, like, Greg and Bonnie and Sam and Fee are mostly are living. B-plots. Are B-plots. and, like, A-plots. But, like, they're not sort of, there's no sort of statement that's being made about, like, like, there's, it, it would be really easy to take this episode and make it about the difference in the way that Quentin treats his team members and the way that hmm. Michael treats his t- team members. Because, That's interesting. Like, and also, like, Michael, I think we've established, sort of works alone a lot. Yeah. And so, like, him now having to, like, not just work with the team, but work with a team he has to work with a lot. Yeah. That could have been really interesting to exactly. explore Michael's, like, leadership qualities. Exactly. And, like, that's... And, like, just something to bring out, like... Anything. Something more than just this happens, this happens. Exactly. And like, I can't call an episode of television that is just this happens, this happens, this happens a great episode of television. Fair enough. All right. Well, there you have it. This is an episode of television that happens to be a great burn notice episode. Yeah. So we want to thank Vincent E.L. for our theme music that you can hear at the beginning and end of every episode. And if you want to support him, you can go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. All right. So thank you so much, Vincent. See you next week. Yeah. See you next week. And we're spies again. <laughs> cool bye <laughs>